You are listening to the Real Estate Proverbs Podcast with host Kevin Jefferson. This is the number one podcast for African-American real estate professionals who are doing extraordinary things. It's time to tune in. And now, your host, the people's lender, Kevin Jefferson. Kevin Jefferson. Hello, welcome to Real Estate Proverbs Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Jefferson, and today we have a very special guest. How you doing today, Ramon? Hey, good evening, good evening. That's good. Ramon, uh, tell, tell everybody about uh, who you are. Hey, well, first of all, uh, Kevin, thank you for having me on uh, this amazing podcast. Um, I'm glad you launched it. I know the world and the industry is going to be definitely blessed by what you're doing. Um, I'm Ramon Tooks, born and raised here in Atlanta. Uh, I started my real estate journey. Uh, now it's been 26 years. Uh, I started off as a 19-year-old kid in college. And so um, that journey began because I was just looking to make an extra dollar. You know, my dad encouraged us to be entrepreneurs. Um, at 18, I, I mean, at 19, I had been involved in experienced different businesses myself. My father owns real estate. My grandfather was a roofer. Um, we grew up right in town. So I've seen a lot of real estate, played around with it. But at 19, I got in, I got involved in it and got bit early on. Uh, when I say I got bit, you know, I, I fell in love with it. Uh, and, you know, good or bad, the past 26 years, it has, you know, it's been what's fed my family. Uh, I've done a little bit of everything from wholesaling to bird dogging to fix and flipping to uh, development. And so uh, to now being an author and an educator, I'm also a licensed realtor in Georgia. So that journey spans, you know, a quarter of a hundred years and a lot of experience. And so I got a lot of good stories and a lot of stories that were good because I learned some from them. Gotcha. So you said that uh, your father and your grandfather owned real estate and you had family members that were contractors. Did they teach you about it or you watched and picked it up? So my grandfather didn't teach us how to be roofers, but we watched him. Uh, He's a very hardworking man. Um, My father technically didn't teach me like, hey, man, this is a deed or this is that. But, you know, kind of watching him, uh, understanding the power of ownership. He preached it to us. He embedded in, in us that. You know, we always live what we always own what we live. And also we all also watched him own other, you know, commercial properties. Wow. Wow. So um, so you said you're 19 years old. So you're pretty much fresh out of high school and going into college. What was that one thing that made you say, I want to jump into this? You know, that pushed us like he pushed all of us, though. You know, one thing he would tell us is to go get our real estate license. Um, when I, my goal in life was to be a criminal defense attorney. Uh, so my undergraduate degree is in a criminal, uh, criminal justice. Uh, I do have a law degree from Emory, but by the time I finished with that law degree, man, I was, I was grown in the real estate world had already took over, taken over my life. So I guess that push of wanting to have some money, cause I've always been, you know, early on, Hey, I want some money. And then my father really, you know, encouraging me to get involved in real estate some kind of way. Wow. Wow. So let me, uh, at, uh, in college and undergrad or yeah, in undergrad, uh, did you have your own place and were you renting out rooms? <laughs> <laughs> so first, um, so we, again, man, been really fortunate. Um, my dad, you know, we live next door to him. So I didn't have to think about that kind of stuff. Uh, I went to Georgia state, so it was no okay. campus, you know, back in 1993, there was no camp. Like it is now there were no dorms. I think they may have had one. I don't know if they had one back then because you got to remember it was just the, the school downtown. It wasn't the massive school that it is now. Um, so, uh, but when I, I bought that first house at 19, uh, it was supposed to be a fix and flip that turned out to be an amazing story. Uh, I talk about it in my book. 
And so I started buying rentals. I didn't know, we didn't know a lot about how, fixing and flipping wasn't as sexy. It was being a landlord is what kind of my first idea of, you know, real estate investing was you buy something, you fix it up, you stick a tenant in there, you make money every month. Uh, fixing and flipping started to come to me probably around 1998, 1999, like when I really started getting involved in it. Right. So so at that time, besides your father and your grandfather, like where'd you get your information and knowledge from? Like now there's a ton of courses. There's YouTube and there's Google. Where'd you get your information from at that point? I mean, a lot of, you know, we read the newspaper. <laughs> uh, I know that sounds funny, but, you know, reading the newspaper, Carlton Sheets was around. Um, there was some other kind of local investors that, you know, we kind of watched and uh, emulated, you know. Uh, and so but a lot of it just came from kind of self, self-taught self stuff, you know, um, and then listening to the people that were right there with me. Right. So in terms of, um, for those who don't know, can you let them know who Carlton Sheets was? <laughs> yeah. Carlton Sheets was like the first real estate guru that we seen on TV. Right. Uh, I definitely know it was for me. He used to sit, you know, in that little chair, like with the water behind him. And he, I mean, he taught us basic principles. And then you order it, it comes four weeks later and some videotapes and some, uh, it wasn't even CDs, bro. It was cassettes. Video and cassettes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so you're in undergrad, you find your first property. Tell it, you said it was a story and it's in your book. Can you shed a little light on what happened in that yeah. first yep. transaction? So I bought it. I bought it. Um, of course I didn't, I didn't get much help with understanding how to look at renovations. I thought I can go in there and do it myself. You know, that's what everybody, you know, I've watched people kind of work well with their hands. Um, it, it overwhelmed me. Um, I, I didn't finish it when I was supposed to finish it. My budget was like way off, you know. Um, and so it, it just didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. But we finished it, though. You know, we ended up selling it and moving on to the next deal. So what? So did you gain a profit? Did you lose or? I didn't lose, but I didn't win. I didn't gain a profit. Gotcha. It was one of them things where we were just, you know, like, I got to get out of this. I didn't lose though. Right. So how long was it before you got your second property? Like right away. We were doing a lot of what, what we call bird dogging. Um, it really is the old version of wholesaling where I would go out and locate properties for you and you would just give me like a $500, $1,000 fee. You know, it has grown into wholesaling now where I can almost control my fee, depending on how good I negotiate. Back then, it was just, I'll find this property, you give me $500, you give me $1,000. Again, I'm 19, 20 years old. I mean, that's a lot of money. Right, right, right. Yeah, because my second year, I think I did like 70 or 80 of them. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Were all of them in the Atlanta area or yeah, some? All, all Metro Atlanta. I didn't know. I, you know, the first few years I, I was, you know, in town Atlanta was not what we see it today. <laughs> it was rough, but same at the same time we had people buying and I was, you know, okay, we're going into the, to the neighborhood. I grew up there. And so then, you know, I knew people in the neighborhoods that would say, okay, you selling? Okay, we got you. We're going to, you know, send it your way. So that was a big push. And then I went and got my real estate license. So I was representing folks. I was working with him. Same thing I'm doing today. Working with folks and then, you know, working with investors. Wow. So going into 2000, maybe 2002, 2003, that was the, at that point, that was the, one of the peaks of the market where it was starting to go on a steady incline because I got my license at that time. How are you doing business at that point? I was doing very well. So, 
You know, I had been in it at that point, say 2001, uh, 2002, five or six years. Uh, I was still in college. Uh, I actually finished law school in 2003, in 2003. So I was still, you know, I was in college. Um, man, we were making so much money in real estate, though, because I paid for my law degree, paid for my law school education with real estate money. Uh, at the same time, by year three or four, I had started buying multifamily. Um, we had roaming house, so I had a lot of income. Uh, and in 2001, I actually sold some apartments to start into the entertainment world slash nightclub business, uh, which almost killed me by 2002. <laughs> <laughs> But one of my lenders, one of my heart money lenders told me in 2001, don't go into the nightclub business. He wow. told me, like, don't do it. Wow. But, you know, I was young. Well, I mean, how you going to tell me? And I'm making money and I like this crowd. And, I, you know, but I was 2001 was an amazing year for me. When I say amazing, um, um, my daughter was born. I got married in July. My daughter was born in September. My mom passed at 45 mm -hmm. years old in November. Um, so it was a lot of, and I was still in law school, running a nightclub and a real estate business. <laughs> it was a lot, Kill. It was a lot. I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep, man. I used to, you know, I had a um, driver and my driver would pull up, especially like on Thursdays and Fridays, pick me up at six or seven in the morning, take me to school, pick up, we go to the club or to the real estate office. You know, we get in the car and, you know, he got all my reports in the car. And then we just run. And I'll end up at home at one o'clock, you know, and I'm studying in the back of the club. It's just, it was a lot, man. I, you know, you know, I know I was tired, boy. I used to be like really tired. So, you know, that's one of the things, man, been truly blessed to have those experiences. Um, but the real estate, it always goes back to real estate. Right? It goes back to what I love and there's no limit to what we can do. And the potential is like, man. Wow. So uh, obviously, if you're still in real estate now, you were still in the um, you were still in the business around 2007, 2008 when the market crashed. Um, yeah. tell us how that affected you and your business. So yeah, man, and I wasn't really young in 2007. I guess I was, uh, 32 years old, I guess. Yeah. 32 years old. Um, we had made so much money. We, I thought we were invincible. So in 2008, you felt it some in 2007, but in 2008, we really felt it. I had just ventured into a hundred lot subdivision out at Stonecrest. Um, we had bought some other commercial properties. And so I was spread very thin and when it hit, you know, I, I've never experienced that, but we weren't able to sell anything. And I depleted my savings because I felt like I was Ramon Tooks and I'm going to get through it. And when people were saying, man, just go ahead and sell, just go ahead and sell. Don't pay them. Don't pay them. They're not going to, you know, I mean, I heard that a thousand times that I felt some kind of way. And then at some point I wasn't able to pay them. So in 2008 um, was probably through 10 was some very rough years. Um, 2008, of course, you know, wasn't making any money. Uh, when 2009 rolled around, I started doing like stuff for banks to earn some money, uh, but again, wasn't able to sell anything. And so when 2010 hit, it was, you know, it was crash time. You know, I, I think I filed bankrupts in 2008 to hold on to some stuff, uh, which eventually we ended up selling. But by 2010, you know, we was turning that boat around um, because we had those relationships. We had built so many relationships when we were in the heydays with the different bankers and realtors that I built a very, very good property preservation company that sustained me for probably two years. Wow. And then Tell us, back, go ahead. I was and and then in 2012 we really started back buying, like you know our sales. You know, thing in 10 we were, you know, all the hedge funds start coming in, so we started finding deals for the people that had money. Everything was on sale. We didn't. I didn't have any money. Wow. 
So the mark, you know, 2012, the market's taken off and you started, uh, you started back in the real estate out of the property preservation business. Um, tell us, uh, about what you have a court, well, you have a program called flipology. Uh, tell us what flipology means. So flipology <laughs> is the, uh, science of flipping real estate. So not just fixing and flipping, but buying, holding and wholesaling. Um, we started flipology, um, the first flipology was 2015. The concept came about because I had started teaching folks uh, around 2011, 10. I'm trying to think. We used to be down to Atlantic Station, 10, 11, 12. And then I had somebody come to me in 14 and say, listen, y'all teaching all over again away for free. You know, you need to brand it. And at that time, man, I really didn't know what branding mean. I didn't. Um, and the young lady that did it, she put together the colors and we ran with it. So flipology was born in 2014. We brought it to the market in 2015, March. So it's been the same every year, March, July, November, March, July, November, March. And so this is, uh, let's see, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So we're going in, this is year seven, we're going to a flipology. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so so in terms of, uh, you know, flipology, um, what what do people get when they come to your event? So flipology is actually a couple of different courses. Our signature flipology is flipology 101, the boot camp. Uh, which has evolved into a three full day intense uh, event where um, you get every single thing you need to be a successful investor. And when I say everything, you get information on accounting, uh, taxes, accounting, you get information on debt relief, you get information on personal credit and business credit, you get information on how you fund deals. Uh, we talk about how to analyze deals. Uh, we talk about, you know, your, your realtor, your inspector, your interior designer and stager. Um, I mean, we go through the gamut from A to Z. So, you know, when you hear find, fund, fix, flip, we go through all four stages of that and we take you out um, on our bus to look at actual projects that we're involved in. Now, I know people ask, well, what about COVID? So we learn how to adjust pretty quickly and have a hybrid. And so even if you're watching it virtually, uh, we, we have uh, equipment that has you out in the field with us. So it is an experience because it's classroom and in the field and probably not much that can even compare to the caliber of people and the amount of information that you get over the three day weekend. Wow. That's amazing, man. Um, and I, I can attest to it. I've been to flipology and you, it, you know, it helped me to be able to see things a little differently from a different lens and to get educated by different professionals. And, you know, it's allowed for me to get back in the investment space and acquire some property. So it definitely worked. Uh, definitely worked for me and I'll be attending again in March. Well, thank you, Kia. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so this is what I want to ask you is I know, <laughs> I know that Flipology does it all and you do all things. You do the fixing and flipping and buy and hold and wholesaling. What's your favorite? I don't have one. Don't have one. Nope. If, if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, we'd buy and hold it. Okay. Yeah. Um, just this favorite, you know, from techniques, from the team, from the efforts, you know, I, well, I, it's very challenging to pick one. If I had to pick one, I say I say buy and holding uh, because it's passive income, um, because I think the other ones are quick hitters. 
Uh, but with buying holding, I get to leave something to my children's children and I can build a real business off of it. With fixing and flipping, you're only as good as your last deal, no matter what somebody says or how many they're doing. You know, like right now, it's a challenge in the market with finding deals. And as great as, you know, our networks are, that's something that we're pressed for. So if you're if you're, you're fixing and flipping and you don't have a deal, you can have great credit and great money and you don't know how to go out there and make money with the other strategies, then you got another issue. Gotcha. And what about um, wholesaling? A lot of times. I, I, I think, love it. Okay. Yeah, I, I love wholesaling, but... Um, I'm at the wholesale because of the network and the resources that we have. But to to just go out and start wholesaling, it's not what I like the most. You know, I like, again, I'm probably going to pick a fix and flip to do so I can buy rental property. But I like buying whole. I know I understand that, you know, for me and my family and my people, we are behind. We got to do something else to so that we're leaving something to the grandkids. Uh, that's the only way you start to establish equality um, in this world is you start off with on some kind of um, a different platform than just starting off at zero or below zero. No. So that you said something about uh, leaving a legacy behind uh, for your kids. You know, I see you on social media. We talk and and I've been to Flipology probably four or five times and I've seen your kids to every one of them. Um, yeah. you know, they might not want to be there, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it ain't might, it ain't might not want <laughs> <laughs> um, It is absolutely, you know, but. <laughs> but they're there, you know, nevertheless, you know, they're there. So, you know, that speaks volumes and you're right, man. We, we have to leave a legacy for our kids and we're behind. Um, and, you know, the statistics still shows that, we own less land now than we did 100 years ago. Um, yeah. The home ownership rate is still, you know, it's not as low as it was at oh, the beginning of, of 2020, but we're still behind. Um, Isn't it know, like the 40s? 46 yeah, I think we're like, like something crazy. Yeah, I think we're like 43%. Um, it was 43, it was 43 at the beginning of 2020, and now we're at 46, but that's still. Um, that's still not where we should be because right now as African-Americans, we're probably making more money than we ever made, uh, collectively. And of course you had your black more too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we are. And that's, so on my side, that's what I see. I see that I have clients that want a $900 a month mortgage and they got a $700 car payment. So to me, it's backwards. And a lot of times, you know, I ask the question, you know, why would you do that? Because it's typically recent. So most, some people come to me and they have just gotten a car. And because they got the car, now they want the house when it should be in reverse. The house, then the car. The house, then the car. And then the first thing they say is, well, they told me to get my credit score up. I, I should buy a car. Well, there's a million ways to get your score up besides taking on that kind of debt. Um, you know, I, we also have a huge problem with student loan debt, you know. So you couple the student loan debt with the five, $600 car payment and then us being paid under our wage, what we should earn, that puts us in a financial bind. Um, and that's not an excuse. We just have to figure out how to work out of that. Um, we, we definitely have to figure out how to work out of that, which entail, that's why I start this podcast. Um, because there are African-American people who are doing amazing things in real estate, whether it's an investor like yourself, um, an educator like yourself, you know, real estate professionals, 
um, home inspectors, appraisers. I mean, that's another market. There are not many African-American appraisers. And that is the key because they could go into our communities and not saying elevate the prices, but they can see it for the true worth. Somebody on the outside of our community doesn't see it the way we do. And therefore, you know, I think that I think the African-American communities are valued 40% lower than they should be. Well, so I know you saw the article or the thing maybe been a month or so ago where they said, tell, you know, black folks to take the pictures down when they get in the house of praise. Yep. So it don't even matter about the community. It's, it's still, if we are the owners, it's devalued based upon what they, they did a study and they showed like proof. Okay, same neighborhood, great neighborhood, but they seen Obama and Martin Luther King on the wall. It's a wrap. You, wow. you, you, and I don't, you know, again, man, that's a that's a spirit. That's something deeper than us fighting a financial war. That's to me, in my opinion, that's something different, man. So, you know, I pray about that, and we got to do what we got to do to make this thing to to, to become um, better as a people, and which means sacrifices. We gotta. You know, my kids not wanting to be there. And I don't always make them come, Kev. You know, I'll be honest with you. I tell them to come, especially like the older ones, if they want to come. The little ones, they like to come, you know. Uh, but the older ones, they got scheduled. So, but I know the key to all of it is we sacrifice, sacrifice, we build something, leave them, and then expose them to it. I and mean, that's what my dad did for us. He exposed us to businesses. He exposed us to taking risks. He exposed us to, which, you know, most of them, I think my siblings and myself, you know, most of us are entrepreneurs or salesmen. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that, I mean, that, like, I've, I've never lived in an apartment ever in my life. You know, I went from when I was, when I was born, my mother owned her home. When I left her home, I went to my own home. My sons have never lived in an apartment. You know, they went from yeah. one house in Delaware to the house here in Georgia and uh, in hopes of, you know, them passing on the same thing. Uh, you know, they both enjoy real estate. When I say they enjoy real estate, you ask them jokers what they want to do on the weekend. They want to go take a look at new construction houses. That's what, you know, that, that's what we've been doing in the pandemic. Like we go, we know it's not a lot of people there and they want to see it. You know, so that sense of pride and I, I, de I definitely want to take them to, uh, you know, give them a little time at Flipology so they can learn and see and hear different things. So, you know, trying to, no, working on exposing uh, my kids to, you know, some things that I had and I didn't have. Um, right. And that legacy is key, you know, just leaving them something. I, I talked to my counterparts and like my branch, my broker uh, back in Delaware, what he did was he purchased two rental properties, one for each of his kids, and he yes. held on to them so it could pay for their college. So what happened was they end up, you know, doing well in school and they got, you know, a lot of scholarships, but the money from those rentals was what they lived off of or what they also, what they uh, used portions of it to finish paying for what they didn't get in scholarships. Um, and to this day, they still own those properties. So um, yeah, it is a blessing. And when he told me that, I, I would have never thought of it, to be, to be honest with you. You know, that's somebody who had foresight. Um, but his father-in-law owned, at one point, owned half of the town that we lived in. So, wow. you know, it's just exposure. And he didn't grow up in a family like that, but he learned it from seeing, being with his wife so long and seeing what her father did. Um, so it's just, like you said, it's exposure, man. It's exposure it to it's exposure to the real estate and um, general, you know, well, you know, like my mother, she never said you need to buy a house, but... 
I guess from living in a house, I just, I said, oh, there's no need to live in an apartment. <laughs> you know, I'm, like I said, right. never, ever. I might have stayed in one with somebody, but to live in one, and it's nothing <laughs> wrong with living. <laughs> it's not to, it's not, you know, not to knock apartment living, but that's just Correct. not what I grew up on. Well, ownership uh, has its own privileges, you know. Um, I've heard, you know, he who call, he who owns the land calls the shots, and that's, more so, right? Um, I think Sonia Booker says that a lot. I think her grandfather said that. Uh, but you know, when you think about it, a lot of times, man, if you don't have ownership. It's a pride. It's a pride that comes with ownership. And again, like you say, no knocking those that are living it. Some people choose to um, live in apartments. Some people, you know, could afford to do it. No, they couldn't choose to live in apartments. But you still, uh, it's a lot of benefits on ownership. And I, I want my kids to take pride in. I want those that I influence or I'm around to take pride in it. Cause it's only one little piece. You're spending the same money that you're doing when you're renting. So why not? Right, right. I know my mother's um, godfather, he owned a property across the street where it was a duplex and he owned it and rented it out, but he was renting where he was. And I remember asking him why, well, he had a trash disposal business and the business paid for the rental. So he just took his, he took the collections there and he used that as his office. So he wasn't paying anything out of his pocket and he was making money off the duplex across the street from him. Yeah. Um, you know, so just like seeing things like that at a young age, but also just thinking about it like, man, like Mr. Such and such, you know, Mr. Ricketts had 10 properties. And then, you know, Mr. Gaines had 17 properties. Like I sat down with the guy who kept his books and he showed me the rent rolls. And I was like, but why didn't they? My problem is, is why didn't they teach it to us? We knew of it, but they never I felt like they never extended to say, hey, boy, come sit down and take a look at this. Now, that was one of the issues in our community, though, when you think about it. You know, we didn't learn about bills and stuff. Most, I mean, and not saying all, but a lot of times it was, you know, we were told to start a grown for business. That's why they didn't teach us, because that was that they were, you know, they were kind of first generation. They don't want you to be better than Some of them, they want you to be better than them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you hate to say that, but that's part of it. That was that, you know, we just came out of slavery. That's that slave mentality. Right, you know? right. I mean, I truly think that our generation um, is going to be to the shift, like the big change. Uh, we may not see it as we may not see the full effects of it, but I believe if we continue to do what we're doing, we'll affect generations to come. Because it's a it's a lot of us that are are in that mode of we've got to leave something for our family. You know what? The next generation they don't they don't have no boundaries, <laughs> no fear either. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care about where they live at. They don't care. They just they you know they they're different, but they they breaking they breaking the tradition of um what it you know the financial tradition. They breaking it, man. They making money all over the internet, you know, through affiliates, and they just they're a different group, you know. Yeah, different group, man. Different group. So in terms of um investing now, and the market being on fire, like all parts of the country. If somebody wanted to get into real estate, what would be a few things you would uh, advise them to do when getting into real estate right now? You know, number one thing is, okay, uh, is get some edu- get educated, understand what's out there, and then understand why do you want to get. Some people just want to get in for money, which is cool, but just understand when the money go, 
then what happens? So first thing I'm going to say is get educated. Uh, second thing is, you know, and I'm going to say get educated and then look at all the free stuff first. Like start looking at the free stuff, Kev. You know, of course, you know, we got programming, right? But I want you to look at um, some YouTube stuff. I want you to, and don't talk to everybody because it's people going to discourage you. Start to understand why you want to go into fixing and flipping and buying, holding and wholesaling. Not just because people are saying it, understand why. So that's my first thing. The second thing is you need to start building that team. You need to know who your lender, banker, you need to, you know, you need to know who's your coach or your mentor is going to be. Uh, who's your realtor? Who's your accountant? You need to know that stuff. And then I say, you know, the last thing is, is really, really taking action. But when you take action, you got to have the necessary tools. So how's your credit? It don't matter how it is. You can do, you can do deals, whether it's great or bad. Right, great or horrible, but you need to know that. You need to know, okay, I got a 500 score. I need to pay this down, so I need to do this many deals, and and then move forward. So you know, education, and I'm gonna always say, you know, education and taking action. You know, you're not gonna be able to beat beat. Can't do one without the other one, but it is like the number one and two things, really. Gotcha, gotcha. So when so when I hear people talk about getting into real estate. They always say that they want to wholesale because it's the easiest. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, when you first picked up that driving manual, you felt like you read it. You can just go drive. That's how, that's what I think about wholesaling. It is one of the easiest ways, depending on where you are, depending on your resources. If I got great credit and some money, that ain't where I'm starting. If I don't have no money and no credit, that's probably where I got to start. <laughs> Right. Right. right, right. Um, so I don't want to say it's the easiest. You know, I fight that battle all over the place where where I say fixing and flipping is easier than wholesaling or buying holding is easier than wholesaling. Gotcha. Now, on paper, wholesaling is I go find something, I get the right price, I go sell it, I make a fee. That's why it seems so easy. But most of the wholesalers right now are not doing anything. Right. Tough. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of money and they don't think, you know, the deal has to, in my opinion, of course, the deal has to be right where everybody wins. And I think that's the problem that we're running into. Well, right now it doesn't. Uh, that's the unfortunate part. But a lot of those people that don't care what the end buyer is doing or why they're paying for it. Then you got the hedge funds in here. They're paying a little bit more. <laughs> You got people from different cities that take less of a return that are paying a little bit more. So, you know, yep, the deal has to be right. And I think if you want people to repeat business, then you give them the best deal you can possibly give them while you are eating as well. Right. And, that you know, that's how you've been able to sustain, you know, the business for 26 years, you know. Yeah. 26 years. Yeah. A, lot man. Of, a lot of great, though. A lot of, you know, ups and downs, um, learning who you are. Learning the market, learning how to, I mean, I can say it's been a lot of, uh, as, the, as they old people said, juggling, you know, where, you know, that's supposed to be paid over there, but I'm going to go ahead and put it over here and finish this project. When I finish that project, I'll fix that. You know, and that's, that's one of the toughest things about um, business is, you know, you got to get it going. And some people are not willing to sacrifice or be patient enough to get the business going. So then, you know, this week they are fixing and flipping. And you send me six months, they, you know, they uh, greet her somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, <clears throat> assembling and knowing who your team. Um, can you give us a, like an overview of who your team is and what it looks like? So we've got several teams. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, Jill, Harrison, 
heads, the uh, marketing for all the teams. Um, and then on the f- flipology and coaching side of things, Steve Pennington has been um, brought on board to help us. <clears throat> Great w- with marketing and, and, and strategy. Um, and then we have, you know, a group of realtors. Um, of course, you know, we have lenders, um, contractors for sure, property managers, um, uh, did I say accounting, accountants. And so those are really like the basics uh, with our funding and lenders. We got all kinds, you know, you know, Kevin, you're a traditional lender for the most part. And so you can help us get that 15, 30 year mortgage. Um, we got, you know, of course, some hard money lenders. I know you dibble and dabble in that. Uh, and then we got folks that teach us how to use IRAs. Uh, so we got, you know, we got the gamut, man. We know realtors, um, um, contractors, CPAs, lenders, friends. You got to have some good friends on that journey. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of days that you cry or you want to cry when something didn't close or was supposed to close or, you know, you was counting on that money. So uh, definitely, you know, get you a mentor, but get some good friends. Gotcha. So let me ask you this, because I know you're you're both. Um, is your mentor and your coach one and the same? <laughs> Do I get to charge twice? <laughs> Depends. Uh, you know, I, you know, cause I, you know, I know what I think, but I want to hear it from you because you're both. So I, I want to see what your take is. on. So it, it, it depends on who it is. Um, okay. Um, I can be both, but I, I have shifted to become more of a coach, uh, as opposed to a mentor. And yep. I, you know, you can mentor. I think you charge for a coach and you mentor people for a bonus. I won't call it free. That right. don't sound right to me. <laughs> Right. Right. Because when I think of mentoring and coaching, you mentor somebody, you follow, they give you advice um, and you probably have a different relationship with them. When I think of coach, they're not your friend. You're not going to have a lot of their time, but the time that they give you is to make you better at what you do. Um, Correct. Even when even when it hurts. Yep. Even when it hurts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I I often wonder because a lot of times I hear people say, you know, they're a mentor, but. I mean, sometimes you really do need a coach because your mentor is doing their thing as well. So they're not going to be able to pour into you. The coach gets paid to help you get to where you need to go faster. I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's, yeah, that's definitely good analysis of that. Yeah. Um, so let's, I got some questions for you, man. What is, um, and you don't have to give figures, like what is the biggest deal that you ever done? So it's profit or the purchase of the deal? Uh, profit. Six figures. Six figures. That's what's up. Um, and do you dabble in commercial at all? Yes. Yep. Multifamily commercial. Yep. Um, so I've owned churches. Um, uh, we've owned strip centers. Of course, I've owned commercial buildings uh, where my my offices were housed. Um, multifamily. You know, anything over four units is technically technically a commercial property. Uh, so we've definitely owned a few properties that are larger than four units. Gotcha. What type of projects are you guys currently working on now? So right now we're working on uh, a couple single family flips and new new construction. Um, we have also some multifamilies that we are getting ready to be leased. Uh, we got a 22 unit in uh, Montgomery, Alabama that is, you know, 50 percent done. We acquired it last August, yeah, August 2020. And so, you know, we've been working on that. I'm down in Montgomery every single week to walk the site and then, you know, just kind of make sure the guy keeping the guys on it. So we got a few of those going. And so that's, you know, that's that's enough for today. <laughs> that's a, a big undertaking. How many units is the one in Montgomery? That uh, 22. 22. OK. 
Awesome. Awesome. Um, in terms of the fix and flips, um, do you have your own team or do you contract out everything? So um, they're not on payroll. So the contractors are um, basically, you know, independent contractors. And so, but you know, they, we keep them busy and then we've done pretty well with them. So they, they come as needed. I don't have like a daily pay for contractors. No, I'm not. I don't, I don't even want that. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, from experience, I've learned, you know, you always have to keep building relationships with contractors because it's just something happens. They either get busy or the quality of work changes. Um, so you just Correct. have to continue to, 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 uh, harness relationships with them, uh, as you go along. Yeah. 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 And right now, you know, like they saying, it's a shortage of housing, you know, it's not enough contractors to keep up with the demand, whether it be new construction or renovations, it's just not enough. It's not possible. Wow. So if somebody wants to um, get in on something that you're doing or to to be a part of your movement, man, you know, what are some things they could do to get started? You know, uh, one. I, so I learn every project. Uh, one, I do want you to get educated. So I'm going to say go to Flipology. Right. Uh, so you understand some of the basic language. Um, I, I don't have a lot of time to like teach the basic stuff. Uh, when you come into one of our programs like coaching, then I expect something you'd already have something. Flipology teaches you that. Um, if you're looking to, you know, be a partner on some things, then we can we can sit down and talk because uh, I want to I'm learning how to weed people out, even though somebody may have money. Uh, I can give you some directions or guidance that will be very beneficial to you. So gotcha. So when is the next Flipology? Flipology coming up is March 12th through 14th. That's Friday all day, Saturday all day, Sunday all day. And you leave there um, full. Uh, you leave there excited. But you lead up with all the necessary resources that you need to get your business going or go to the next level. Gotcha. So for those who want to try to get in contact with you, um, can you give them your social media? Yes, I'm Ramon Tooks on all social medias, uh, LinkedIn, um, Instagram and Facebook. So that's Ramon Tooks. Gotcha. And uh, how would they sign up for uh, Flipology? Uh, you can go to flipology101.com um, to sign up. And if you're on Instagram, you can click my bio to sign up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Ramon, I appreciate your time, man. I, I don't take it lightly that you uh, took the time to do this interview. Uh, and thank you and have a good evening. Hey, thank you, Kev. Thank you for listening and be sure to follow Kevin on Instagram at The People's Lender. We'll see you here next time on Real Estate Proverbs with Kevin Jefferson.